It's shocking to me how important work is and yet how broken finding the right job can be. Everyone's had a bad experience. Trawling through irrelevant job ads, not knowing the salary, applying and then never hearing back. And for managers, wading through irrelevant applications or sending hundreds of LinkedIn emails, hoping for a response. But it doesn't have to be this way. Otter matches the right people with the right jobs at all the most exciting companies. It was founded to make finding a great job less soul-crushing. I use Otter when I'm hiring at Heights, and honestly, I love it. Candidates simply answer a few questions about what they're looking for, and Otter serves up only relevant jobs that match their skills and preferences. This smart matching means companies receive more relevant applications, helping them find the very best people much faster than before. So, if you're looking for the right job, or you'd like to hire smarter, check out otter.com forward slash secret leaders. That's O-T-T-A dot com forward slash secret leaders. I experienced depression, which I hadn't felt before. I experienced in- extreme anxiety and I couldn't sleep. That was something I had never felt before. That's Cassie Holmes, professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, where she teaches the immensely popular MBA course, Applying the Science of Happiness to Life Design. She's also the author of Happier Hour, a new book that gives us the tools to be happier, some of which we'll dive into later today. Cassie's understanding of happiness was born out of a deeply unhappy period, sparked by an intensely personal failure, the failure of her impending marriage to her childhood sweetheart. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we don't talk about failure nearly enough, and yet it is the best teacher. Plus, it's far more interesting than success. Until then, Cassie's life had played out like a Disney film. My whole childhood was, it almost felt like a fairy tale, even to the point as a 12-year-old when we were living in England. And there was a guy that I had a crush on um, who was a wonderful soccer player. Then I learned that his crush was mutual. Um, and so we would sort of across the playground smile at each other bashfully knowing that there was sort of a connection between us. And that didn't go anywhere because um, we then moved back to the States and I lost touch with him. Not that I actually ever had an in-depth conversation with him (laughs) during, during the time. But then I was in college at university in New York and was living there um, having graduated and I get an email out of the blue and this was when uh, my email account was still a Hotmail account. So I got this email from this name that I remembered so fondly um, and I opened it and he had remembered me fondly and was just wondering what I was up to. And that turned into months of letter writing or email writing, but it was these long um, letter-like emails back and forth, getting to know each other. And then eventually we took the sort of exciting, exciting step of him driving five hours from Richmond, Virginia, where he was living up to New York to meet me for uh, a burger. It was a life-changing burger. They started dating. He moved to New York. A sixth grade crush turned into something much more. 
It was a love story for the ages. They moved to California, got engaged, and Cassie spent a year planning her dream wedding. She had no idea what was coming. I was on my way, backing out of our driveway with my wedding dress in the car, going down two weeks before the wedding. And he called me and he said, I'm not ready to get married. And I was like, what? Absolutely crushed. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is, and so from that, I, I was like, if you're not ready to get married now, you're not gonna be ready to get married any time. So is this really what you're choosing? If so, we're never speaking again. That is what he chose. And so I didn't know what to do because the car was packed with my wedding dress and I was devastated, but I just continued backing out the driveway and drove down to San Diego in a total mess. Um, and I was so upset. I'm saying it like sort of lightly now, but I mean, I was so upset. This perfect love story with my perfect future with this man who I thought was my perfect person um, had totally shattered. As filmmakers put it, this was a hard right in Cassie's story. She'd never faced an ordeal like this before. She was devastated. She became depressed and anxious. She couldn't sleep. But she'd also recently started studying happiness. And she saw this challenge as an opportunity. How was she going to pull herself out of this black hole and return to her happy state? What are the building blocks of happiness? Looking at what are the inputs into folks' happiness, you see that, yes, there's a significant part that's influenced by one's individual disposition, so their personality. So I am and was lucky that I have a sort of positive, more cheery personality. I tend to see the glass as half full. However, there are circumstances that happen that we are exposed to, and those also have an effect on how we are feeling. And when I talk about happiness, what I'm referring to is how we feel in the day-to-day, -day, sort of feeling more positive than negative emotion, as well as an evaluation of our life as satisfying. So our natural personality has some influence, and then our circumstances have an influence, but actually, like fortunate for me in this scenario where my circumstances were quite negative, they don't have as significant and big of an effect as we think. So in, when I'm talking about circumstances, these are sort of um, things like income level, marital status. So that's why I'm relating it. I thought I was getting married and all of a sudden I wasn't. Um, attractiveness level. These are things that people think, if only I had a lot of money, if only I were super gorgeous, if only I found that person to walk down the aisle with, then surely I would be significantly happier and significantly happier forever. But the research shows that these things have an initial effect, but a significantly smaller lasting one than we think. And the reason is because we adapt. We get used to things over time, we react to them. And actually your natural disposition influences how you react to these circumstances. But then there's a third category of inputs, which I think is the most interesting and heartening. And this is the one that I have focused on in my research since. And it's interesting because this is the part we have control over. So a significant 
portion of how we feel in our days and how satisfied we feel about our lives is influenced by what we intentionally do in the day-to-day -day and think about in the day-to-day. -day. And I frame that as how we spend our time and how we engage in the time that we're spending. Something else that made a big difference, which business people can learn a lot from, is how Cassie saw herself in relation to her failure. She acknowledged it was a failed engagement and a failed relationship, but she didn't think of herself as a failure. Something you do at work might fail, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. Unfortunately, although this makes sense, it's difficult to put into practice because of how we feel after publicly failing. And this is why Cassie sees huge parallels between what happened to her and business failure. It was absolutely, like, just the thought of, <laughs> like, him basically dumping me two weeks before the wedding and telling all of our family and friends who were, again, flying to San Diego for this event that, nope, <laughs> like, I got dumped. That is absolutely humiliating. There's deep shame when we fail publicly. But in hindsight, like most founders who fail, Cassie is grateful for this raw experience. She has since found a better partner and learned something that anyone who has failed should take to heart. Well, that was probably the worst day of my life um, to that point, for sure. It ended up being a very important one because from that experience, I learned that my happiness was not luck um, and it wasn't sort of a charmed existence that it was actually something that I had control over. And with that, there's a lot of um, confidence that I gained that in my happiness, and then I have gone on to become a happiness expert. Um, and it would be easy for people to sort of write me off of like, oh, it's easy for you to be happy because I have a natural disposition. I was lucky to have that personality and my circumstances um, are largely lucky, but we are all faced with really terrible circumstances. I mean, the pandemic has taught all of us in the last few years that shit happens. And by knowing that there are things that we can do to move through those times to react to and um, sort of combat the unhappiness uh, in order to find joy in our days and to choose happiness in our lives. Um, I think from it, I gained a lot of confidence. So what are the things that can help us move through these difficult times? Yeah, um, and so this is sort of what my whole book is about. <laughs> it's like figuring out it, to spend our time, what are those activities that really are, are you experience as worthwhile, that bring you joy, that give you a sense of satisfaction. Um, and there's different ways that you can identify for yourself, time tracking, for instance, um, what you can identify those worthwhile ways of spending so that you're sort of maximizing the amount of time you spend on worthwhile activities, minimizing the amount of time you spend on sort of activities or time that feels like a waste. Um, but in addition to that, and, and so what are some of those activities? I mean, if you look at the time tra tracking research as well as the research more generally, 
exercise is so important. It not only gives you an immediate sort of mood booster, helps offset anxiety, but it also influences how you experience the rest of the activities in your day. Social connection, genuine social connection with those people that give you a sense of belonging, that give you a sense of joy and satisfaction coming out of those interactions. Um, so making sure that you carve out and protect time for those important relationships. Spending time on work, that you are clear about the purpose, the impact, the why of what you're doing, and you protect time for it, away from distractions, um, and away from, you know, like the, if days were spent responding to email and doesn't actually create time for you to dig in and do the work that's so important to you and make progress, then that is, um, that's sort of how we look back on our weeks and feel, even though we're busy and our schedules are full, we don't feel fulfilled. Um, it is also recognizing the value of being outside. I mean, research shows that simply being outside, even when the weather is bad, <laughs> um, and even if in an urban environment um, compared to a natural environment, simply being outside um, gives you a sense of perspective um, and is a mood booster in itself. In those activities that are worthwhile, making sure that we are not distracted during them. Research shows that we're distracted almost half the time, 47% of the time, we're not thinking about what we're currently doing. And if you're spending time on something that is so potentially so fulfilling, like with a loved one, doing work that is um, in line with your purpose, then it's, you're sort of wasting that time. Cassie Holmes on how we can be happy even in the midst of failure. By the way, Cassie also said that negative experiences actually contribute to a meaningful life. They add meaning as long as we make sense of them. So if you've failed, consider what you've learned from it and consider implementing Cassie's advice for getting back to a happy state. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. See you next time. Hold up. Before you go, I want to play you a clip of the new true crime show we've just released. Hope you enjoy. In a country run by billionaires and triads, one gangster decides to go it alone. To have a guy like that with bombs and AK-47s and putting billionaires' sons in boxes is, is scary. And his actions provoke a geopolitical crisis that leaves Hong Kong in pieces. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, this is Bad Money. Season one, Big Spender. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.